Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. I have been searching all of my days. All of my days. This is episode number 86 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm Darren and I'm Justin. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Justin from the Fifth Race Podcast is back with us this week, sitting in for David Reed. David is busy at the Anaheim Comic-Con convention there working at the PropWorks booth. I would say if you're at the convention, stop by and see him and say hi. But uh, by the time this podcast gets up, it's going to be over. But welcome back, Justin. Thanks. Great to be back. So we had you on not too long ago, actually. It was for Justice, I think, episode 10. Is that right? Yeah, episode 72 of the podcast. So now we're up to 13. This week we're talking about Faith, which aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. and Space in the U.K. Uh, It's episode 13 of Stargate Universe. Before we get to it, there's a little bit of Stargate news. It was announced by Sci-Fi Channel this past week that starting in October with season 2 of SGU, the show is going to move from Friday night to Tuesday night. What do you think about that? I think that's a bad plan. Really? Why is that? I work every Tuesday night, for sure, and that's bad. It's a bad plan for you. Well, it's a bad plan for me, but I also think it's a bad plan overall because it's kind of been – this is like the only thing on Friday nights for – I don't know. I mean it just seems like it's the Friday night staple in at least a lot of my friends' life. I mean maybe not the general public, but Sci Fridays. I think that's what made the Sci – I think that's what made the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, Sci-Fi Channel started out its original programming on Friday nights back when they were doing um, Farscape and First Wave and those shows. Um, And eventually Stargate, it's kind of owned Friday nights. And for the networks, I mean, Friday night has always been the quote-unquote death slot for the networks because viewership is so much lower when you've got a show that doesn't draw big numbers like uh, Dollhouse or Terminator on Fox, uh, they shuffle them over to Friday nights because there are not as high as expectations. Which seems weird, but I, I mean, I guess, you know, Friday nights, the night, it's like date night, so a lot of people are out of the house on Friday nights, but... Yeah, going to see movies. It has been the death slot for our regular television, but I thought the Sci-Fi Channel kind of flourished on Friday, and what they're replacing it with, I mean, wrestling, I don't, yeah. I just... I just don't get professional wrestling. I'm not a big wrestling fan. No, we could do a whole show, I think, on the illogic of uh, something called the Sci-Fi Channel having professional wrestling. I mean, it's uh, imaginative. It's fiction, that's for sure. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, um, the WWE Friday Night Smackdown has apparently been branded on Friday nights for several years now. Um, Sci-Fi Channel picked up the rights to SmackDown and is going to keep it on Fridays. So uh, it's I think it's a good idea not to pair one of their dramas like SGU with wrestling as its lead-in. Um, SmackDown's apparently a two-hour block. So the good thing about Tuesday night is it is watched by more people. There are more people at home with their television on. So you, you might get uh, a few more viewers, I think. What else is on Tuesday night, though, right now? Oh, I don't know. It's um. It's I guess you don't big. live in the U.S., do you? So you don't probably know. <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, I used to watch like House on Tuesday nights. Tuesday, I think Tuesday and Thursdays are the highest 
uh, highest watched nights of TV in the U.S. So they're the most competitive among the big networks. Um, Tuesday is when American Idol runs in the spring. So what uh, what Sci-Fi is going to do is they're going to start SGU season two, and I think I just read that Caprica season one point five starts in September. So it's probably going to be those two shows on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not sure about Sanctuary Season 3. But um, those are the fall shows. And then, you know, Caprica might come back in January. It started in January this year. And then have a winter winter run. Um, and then Stargate comes back in the spring. So fall and spring for SGU is the most likely scenario. And um, that, that means that next spring, a year from now, it could potentially be up against American Idol on Tuesday nights. I don't think that's going to be good. Although I don't, I'm, I don't watch American Idol. Do, do geeks watch American Idol? Some geeks do. I mean, it's one of the highest rated shows on television. That would probably know. be a bad plan. I'm kind of on on two minds of two minds on the move. It um, it seems good because the ratings have been slipping. Friday nights are are not watched very much. Science fiction and Stargate in particular tend to be among the highest DVR'd shows. So right. We get those live ratings, and then uh, we get the the DVR time delayed ratings a few weeks later that end up being like 40 or 50 percent more people. I think our live ratings hopefully will be higher on Tuesdays than they would be on Fridays, even though there's more competition. I really wish we could find out how many people pay to download it on iTunes or and Amazon.com and anywhere else they can watch it. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty curious about that. It's not as significant to advertisers or Sci-Fi Channel, obviously, because that's MGM that sees the money from downloads. But um, yeah, and Hulu, which is which is free, which is network promotion. So that's probably something that Sci-Fi is interested in is Hulu. But we'll see. We'll be on Friday nights for the rest of the spring. Warehouse 13 and Eureka are are the big originals that Sci-Fi airs during the summer, and they've aired those on Tuesdays and and had really great success. I mean, Warehouse 13 last year was the highest rated premiere and the you know, highest no- rated show in the network's history. Now that you say that, I remember that. Maybe Tuesday night isn't going to be that bad then. Yeah, yeah, but that was summertime, so it's kind of a different different ballgame in terms of network competition. True. We shall see. October. The main discussion. So let's talk about Faith. I like this one. Um, I, I think this is an episode that gets better on repeat viewings, and you tell me if, if you agree with this. When coming out of space which was just massive action, space battles, CG, payoff, and Divided, which was really sort of intense and, uh, you know, resolving this character tension. I don't know how much it was resolved, but dealing with this this angst and character tension. Then you get to Faith, which is just kind of a slow, quiet episode. And I noticed how, how little score there is, actually. The music in the episode is really minimalist. Um, it's It's just kind of slow and quiet and peaceful. I mean, it's almost a tranquil episode. You're kind of catching your breath after the last two, and I liked it. I mean, I, I love the episode, and I think, um, I've watched it three times now, and I think if watching the, these on DVD all together, or if you watch three episodes together, mm-hmm. that the three last three episodes would be a nice chunk, because like you said, you've got incredible action, incredible drama, and then your slow episode. Yeah, it's slow, but it's slow in a good way. I think uh, a lot of people have criticized the first part of the season as being sort of 
you know, when are we going to get to the plot? There's all we're doing is character development. All we're doing is sort of, uh, you know, the the resource of the week that we're low on. Um, this was slow in character drama, but it's it it feels much better to me. Maybe it's because they did all that setup in the first part of the season, and because we we already know these characters, and we sort of have know a little bit more about TJ by the time we get to this point, and she's having this this sort of personal struggle. Yes. Um... Were, were you surprised when that she announced that she was pregnant? I was not surprised at all. Were you? Well, I knew in real life she was, but no, I had not heard anything about her that they were going to work it into the show at all. So, and I was spoiled. Um, my buddy Dominic, since I was working last or Friday night when it was on, he texted me the major plot points as they happen, and <laughs> so I got That's a way to get your spoilers. Well, I'm. I really like spoilers, so I, I can deal with it. Nice. And I was I, as soon as he said that, I was like, "Wow!" I'm really surprised that they worked that into the episode or into the show. Yeah, I was I, based on how how the the actors I think were talking, uh, sort of reading in between the lines in some interviews. I expected them to use it. Um, I mean, you have a an actress who gets pregnant. Uh, Elena Huffman, congratulations! Had her baby in December. Uh, the show finished shooting, I believe, in October. So we are going to see um, much more uh, pregnant TJ throughout the rest of the season. Um, she got pregnant, and so of course the producers have a decision. They can write the pregnancy in, or they can shoot around it. Um, I think David and I talked about this um, last year with Rachel Luttrell's pregnancy. Yeah, or no, I guess this would have been a couple years ago. It would have been season four of SGA. Uh, you know, you can do like Roxanne Dawson on Voyager did, and, and uh, the actress gets pregnant, you shoot around it, uh, give her a more loose-fitting uniform, and, you know, shoot her from the shoulders up most of the time. Or you write it into the show. So they wrote it in the show this time, which uh, I was I was kind of expecting, and uh, I'm definitely happy about. Um, I am a little iffy. I mean, I guess the next question, in terms of pregnancy and this is a huge question for being stranded on a spaceship with very little resources. Um, when this baby comes along, you know, sort of one of the themes of, of this episode, Faith, is what an awful, awful place to, to raise a baby on this ancient spaceship where you basically have no natural light, you're breathing recycled air all the time, you're, you're drinking water that's being pushed through a, a million-year-old filtration system. So, I mean, is are are we going to do what we did with Taylor and her baby Torin and have have uh, TJ's baby just sort of on the ship sticking around all the time, or are they going to do something um, something which could potentially, I think, be very uh, dark and disturbing with the storyline? Sticks around, otherwise that would be sad. But I mean, you know, when that happened, I was sitting there like. I think I would much rather be on the spaceship than on the planet if I was the baby. Really? Yeah, but I just don't think I'd want to be living in like this tent with, you know, 10 people, I mean, or 11, that wanted to stay on this planet. That just doesn't seem like a lot of fun to me. Yeah, it could be a jungle child, you know, running through the trees, swinging and jumping and playing. What's the name of that? The guy from the Jungle Book? Whatever, like that? Yeah, Mowgli. Mowgli. There you go. I don't know. I just don't. That's not me. I'd be like, "Where's the internet?" 
Not that they have that on the spa- on Destiny, but still. So we learn a lot more about TJ in this episode. Um, a little bit of backstory, which I loved, being from Oregon and adopted from, from Washington, was she talks about having uh, gone camping with her dad in the Olympic Peninsula. So it sounds like TJ might be from Washington State, which I thought was cool. She's been pregnant for 15 weeks now since just before they left Icarus Space. So now we have a, a timeline as to how long which... we've been on the ship. That was one of my points I was going to make was we know how long we've been on the ship now because, you know, the first half of the season could have been a week or two. I mean, we don't really know how far exactly it was because the first three episodes was basically the same day or two and then on. So I'm glad that we got kind of a definitive point. And then they spent another month on the planet. So they've been, you know, they've been out there 19, 20 weeks now. I think that... It's kind of hard to tell, I think, just when she gives that information, if it's towards the end of the month that she says she's 15 weeks along. Because um, that would mean that, that, yeah, it was more like 11 weeks between Air and Divided, or the beginning of Faith. Uh, I don't know, it's interesting. The timeline on the show is interesting, because in, in the past, on Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis, we've sort of taken it for granted with a bit of evidence here and there that one year of the season of the show, one season of the show equals about one year of real time. So 20 episodes make up about 365 days, give or take. Um, SGU, I mean, here's an episode that where a month goes by in the span of 45 minutes or uh, an hour with commercials. But um, yeah, it seems like, and I think Joe Malazzi might have hinted at this on his blog, that, that a full season of the show might end up being more a little bit less than a year. That makes sense. I mean, Star Trek kind of did that where basically every year on Star, or every season of Star Trek was one year. So, right. it'd be interesting to see where we end up or if they kind of keep dropping clues as to, or saying how far along we are. Because I'd like to know. I mean, I mean, it's it's just kind of weird. I, I kind of keep going back to the point of how how long can they wear the same clothes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they must have found some sort of ancient washing machine, you would think. If they have showers, probably have washing machines. I would assume so. Hello, my name is Nicole from Huntington Beach in beautiful Southern California. Um, I'm also known as Space Monkey Jackson on the Get World Forum. I really, really enjoyed this week's episode as a whole. The awkwardness between Scott and Chloe was, was good. I would have been surprised if they weren't awkward with one another. As a Chloe and Scott shipper, it's nice to see some tension between the two after the events of Divided. Both as a viewer and a writer myself, tension is great. The only thing that kind of bugged me was how obvious they made TJ's pregnancy symptoms. Maybe it's just me being a preschool teacher and is around young mothers on their second and third round of pregnancies. I don't know. The moment TJ wakes up and looks ill, I immediately thought, Oh, she's prego. Loving the podcast, guys. Keep it up. TJ is, uh, when the episode starts, she's not doing well on the ship. She's uh, she's getting anemic, which, not not just because she's pregnant, but, I mean, it sort of introduces this idea to me that, that life on the Destiny is kind of unhealthy. You know what I mean? We, we get this little montage of, you know, the food that they're eating and... Uh, you know, there's this this quick little shot at the beginning of Lieutenant Scott shaving and and uh, just you know 
people are, are trying to get by, but it's just not really a healthy place to live. I mean, again, there's there's no fresh air, there's no direct sunlight, unless you happen to be driving past or into a plant of a sun. I don't know. I mean, it it, it is kind of weird. I mean, and they are using kind of are eating mostly rations and you know food that you really probably shouldn't survive on for very long. Yeah. And you mentioned the million-year-old or however-old air filtration system and water system, and I don't know. Who knows what kind of nastiness mm-hmm. could be there? Or also, I mean, as old as the ship is, who knows? I still think there might have been somebody on the ship beforehand that visited. Oh, you think? Well, I was going to bring up the point, which is in your email notes, about... If the aliens hadn't been on the ship before, how did they just grab Chloe without a problem? Yeah, we got a voicemail on that that we'll get to in a in a few minutes. So I'll, I'll save my thoughts for that when we talk about that then. Because I was actually going to call in and ask about that or kind of say something about that. I just hadn't had time. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. I mean, even if not, I mean, it is a million years old. I mean, who knows what kind of... Somebody had to build the ship, so there had to be some kind of, you know, life in it. And it had air, so who knows what kind of bacteria were breeding for millions of years or however long Rush said at the beginning of the show. So the centerpiece of this episode is this planet. We've got uh, Destiny drops out of FTO unexpectedly because the gravity from this star... Uh, affected their trajectory, and now the ship has to do this uh, month-long slingshot around the sun uh, to as a, as a course correction. So we have a star and a planet that weren't supposed to be there, because the seeder ships, uh, the ships that are seeding stargates ahead of Destiny, not the ships that are made out of cedar, uh, are flying ahead and sending us back, you know, telemetry and information about all this, the star systems that it encounters. So those ancient ships don't know that this is here. It's we basically figure that that it's been manufactured by some species. Does it seem weird to you at all that that's the way the system works, and not that they just use the destiny sensors to see what's around it? Well, I don't know how good long range sensors would really be, especially in FTL. I mean, if you're really going that fast, I mean they could do it that way, where you just. You know, if we had full control of the ship and its systems and could look at, at long-range sensors and see, hey, we're coming up on this star system in a couple hours. But uh, those would have to be some pretty cool sensors to work that way in FTL. True. We, we, we are talking about the ancients, though, that built the, the Stargate network. This is true. <laughs> but what but, do you think about right. this idea that there are these uh, super-duper godlike aliens who are, like, far, far more advanced than the ancients? I mean, we've been, been uh, you know, honoring and, and just being awestruck by the ancients for so many years because they built the Stargates and uh, other sort of technology like that. Now there's hints that there's a species out there that can build a star and a planet basically well, anytime they want to. Here's my question. Didn't in didn't the Ashen create a second sun in that one solar system? Yeah, I think um but like didn't they ignite a planet that was something like Jupiter or make it increase the density of it or something 
so it increased their crops or whatever. Yeah, so, they did it in 2001 in the Volian system, and um, they were doing it with Jupiter in 2010 uh, in our solar system. And I wonder if they would have to have some sort of pre-existing planet like like uh, like Jupiter to do it. I, I would say probably so, but I mean, if if the a Shin could do it, maybe they don't need to be that all powerful. Yeah, but a planet. That's kind of a different ball of wax. I mean, Eli mentions uh, the Genesis device. I love Eli's references to geek culture. <laughs> it rocks. And his quote, we're 0 for 3 on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. That rocked. Yeah. I actually um, I usually don't appreciate Eli's uh, sci-fi references because they just seem to be a little over the top. But this one was, was perfect. What if they didn't create the planet? What if they... I don't know how you'd drag a planet there. Or who knows? I mean, maybe... I mean, do you have any idea what the obelisk was? I mean, do you have any theories on that? I have some theories. Um, we've, we basically find this thing that's... that's um, I don't know. In terms of, of design, it's almost sort of the opposite and inverse of a Stargate. Uh, Stargate being big and round, this being large and tall and uh, phallic, maybe, a little. Um, so I wonder if it's maybe some actual piece of technology that could be like a transportation system. So, you know, I was, I frankly, I was disappointed to see Dr. Kane go. Uh, it looks to me like he was one of the civilians who probably decided to stay behind at the end. Um, this was the guy who was introduced in, in Justice. Uh, he was in all three of the last three episodes, four including Faith, um, he was the guy helping helping uh, with the with the communication stones in space when when Young got his his mind transferred to the alien conscious the alien body. It looked like they were making Kane up to be kind of a, a recurring character, maybe maybe a Lorne of SGU, and now he seems to be left behind on the planet. So what I'm hoping is that maybe this obelisk is some sort of transportation system, and there are multiple planets with multiple obelisks, obelisks, oboli, all over the the universe that have been set up like this, and that we might we might be able to see these guys again. What what if it's just plainly simply? I mean, I mean, this could be. I mean, I, I actually like your idea, and I didn't think about that. Okay, what do but you I mean, I don't know. But this is just things that I was thinking of that you know would not have these aliens be all powerful because I just don't think that, you know, there could be aliens, you know, smarter than the ancients. But what if it's a device that pushes the planet or the the whole solar system out of reality, like um, the Merlin device or something like that? So when the Cedar ships came through, they just didn't see it. That would be interesting. So you're saying the star and the planet were there all along, but when the Cedar ships passed by, they, they were just hidden. Right. That's interesting. I like that. I don't know what I'm, purpose it would necessarily serve. I, I don't either other than, I mean, I just don't think, I don't want to believe that there's somebody out there that's smarter than the ancients, I guess. Even though, you know, it seems like we're almost smarter than the ancients at times. But that was my whole theory behind it anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So they wouldn't necessarily be super duper powerful, like to the point of being godlike because they would not have necessarily created the planet and the star. Right. Yeah, maybe they were on the planet at the time. So there's a lot of concern in this episode that they're coming back um, because the obelisk turns on, shoots this this 
blue light into the sky. It almost looks like some kind of a homing beacon or something. Um, so maybe the aliens were on the planet when the cedar ships came by, and they like had to deliberately hide it, you know, activate the cloaking device. And this time, when Destiny arrived, they just happened to not be around, so we were able to find it. So do so, you think that we're going to see more of this? That this is sort of set up for, for some future payoff about encountering these aliens again or finding another planet with an obelisk on it or something? Well, not. I didn't actually think that until you said that it might be a transportation device. And then if that's the case, then yes, I do. But otherwise, no, I don't. Yeah, that would be interesting if, if they sort of, uh, you know, set up these super-duper-duper duper aliens that are more more possibly more powerful than the ancients, possibly older you know, we're we're talking first ones at this point. Uh, if you're a Bab- Babylon Five fan, it's an interesting idea that they just might not come back to it at all. So we get down to this planet and um, decide that we have about four plus weeks to spend there. Uh, a group of people, civilians and military, trying to reconcile, trying to overcome the the failed coup attempt from last week. A lot of interesting stuff going on on the planet. Um, Chloe goes down there, and she and Matt. They don't really appear to reconcile. I don't think they're necessarily back together, but they do sort of smooth over their relationship. I mean, they're in I, one of the montages. They're shown, you know, going for a walk together, and they're, you know, they're sitting by the fireside and, and talking. They're not, they're not on the outs really anymore. Who was the guy that was really religious that kind of started all the? That was Cain. Okay, out. Oh, God put us here, or God gave us this plan, or whatever, gave us this planet to help us get home and the aliens are going to help us. Talking to um, Matt about um, how everybody seems to be trying, military-wise, to get along with the civilians and mend bridges, but he seems to be the only one that is actually doing it. I kind of like the way Greer was like, told that one guy, you dig, you dig, let's bond. Yeah, dig the latrine together. (laughs) I was kind of more interested in, I mean, did it seem weird to you, tangenting away from the planet, I guess, that didn't didn't Rush seem a little, almost kind of obsessed with, or not obsessed, but saddened by the fact that they didn't get to meet the aliens? Yeah, yeah, It's. I think this is a good episode for Rush, even though he doesn't do much. Um, this is sort of one of those episodes that kind of makes you like Rush again, after he's been such a jerk. Uh, such a, a Machiavellian strategist. Uh, he's kind of nice in this one, and yeah, that that scientist side of him comes out. The the joy of the discovery. This thing is here, and we don't get to meet the people who who potentially have the power to make a planet. He he did he did just have a big gash cut in his chest, and an alien homing device ripped out of it probably <laughs> the day before, or two days before. Yeah, that'll soften your soul. I thought his dedication to work, even though that he was obviously clearly in pain and not okay, was pretty um, neat, being the manic worker that I am. Um, or maybe not manic, but obsessive worker. Hi, this is Avi from Chicago. I have a couple of comments about uh, Faith this week. It was a much slower episode than previous weeks, especially considering that Space and Divided were you know, um, action-packed and conflict-oriented. Whereas space was much more getting to know the people and um, their reactions to normal things in life and to almost this resort planet they found. Um, and the only conflict seemed to be at the very end of whether or not they want to leave. But on that note, I kind of felt that it was too slow. 
it didn't go where it should have. You know, there should have been more. It started off the episode with a great, you know, mystery of this planet and this star, and that we would assume something would have happened, and nothing really did. I'm sure we'll see something later in the se- in the season of the series, but for the episode, it kind of fell through. I like the moment at the end of the show. First off, in the very beginning, when he was like, "We need to work together," and then how. Rush is whittling a chess set together, apparently, and Young's like, "I like chess," mm. and, y- and Rush didn't say anything, basically, like, "Oh, yeah. maybe we should play, or maybe we could play one day." No, nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. He tells him at the beginning, I'm, "I've, I'm, uh, I've told all the military people to make a special effort," and uh, that goes for me too, and it, it goes for you. So he's basically saying to Rush, uh, "I'm going to attempt to be your friend." even though I hate your guts. But that moment at the end, man, I just loved it with, with the, the chess, the chess line. Rush is sitting there whittling his chess pieces, and Young says, I enjoy chess, and walks away. And then the camera stops on Rush, and man, uh, Robert Carlyle played this so fantastically. There's just this slight hint of a, of a smile out of the corner of his mouth. Like he's, he's a little surprised, a little taken aback that, that Young is, has has acted this way towards him. I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes in the episode. I mean, I still can't beat the Eli, the close encounter to the third kind one, but anyway, <laughs> I'm going to talk about that forever probably. Yeah, so on the ship, there's also some character stuff going on. It was really nice seeing Eli and Camille together. We don't really see those two talking Did- much at all. And they're, I mean, they're like, you know, sitting on the couch looking out the... the uh, the window together didn't that seem weird and out of place it did just because these two have been so i mean look at divided they were on the opposite side of the line really like the only character interaction we got before that was they shared a piece of fruit and the next thing you know they're hanging out on the couch on the observation deck i liked it it, it kind of brought a sense of family a sense of, hey, we've been out here for a few months together now, and, you know, there's only 80 people on this ship, so eventually you're going to get to know even the people that you would never have, have hung out with otherwise. But the reactions are different between these two, uh, which is, is interesting to me, and somebody on either on uh, the main site comment threads or on the forum pointed this out. Eli is afraid that they made a mistake sending our people to this planet. And Camille has the exact opposite reaction. She wishes, wishes by the time it's all over that she would have gone. Because this is like an incredible gift. What do you think about the planet being perfect? There was really no life on the planet. There was, they, didn't they say there was no wildlife? I'd be interested to know whether there was any insects. I know they didn't say it, but... Yeah, what if I there don't was... remember what they said about animal life. I mean, they, said, they clearly said there was, there was no indigenous wildlife or there was no wildlife of any kind, at least during the day. Oh, wow. They said that when they're reporting in, I think, or something. Yeah, that would that would say to me maybe that this planet definitely is artificial because I don't know how you could have a thriving ecosystem without any sort of animal life. I would have liked to see him explore the planet more, I think, too. Mm-hmm. But it is weird how it was really Earth-like, I guess. Not that all the planets aren't Earth-like, but... They kind of went out of their way to in, in, to explain how Earth-like it was at several points, other than the fact of the lack of animals. Yeah, and Rush said uh, when he was looking at the sensor data at the beginning, even that the, the 
the dwarf star is very much like our own sun. You think there's a reason behind that? What if it was just the Ascended Ancients realizing that they screwed up and let them on this ship, so they gave them a place to stay along the way? Yeah, that's that's a, one of my favorite lines in the episode is towards the end, and that's kind of the question that, that Matt asks. He goes to Young and he says, what if this planet was a lifeline and we just let it go? What if somebody, the ancients or, or otherwise, the, these, uh, these new advanced aliens, basically saw the predicament that they were in and gave them a lifeline and they just let it slip away? It's a great was- question. If that was the question, if they really did that, wouldn't you put a big sign there that said, "Hey, this is for you. Stay here." Yeah, yeah. Please stay there's, here. There's untold doom for you on the ship. Vacancy. Yeah. A big flashing vacancy sign. Though the the big obelisk thing just bothers me. I don't. Th- I mean, I don't. I don't know why that would be there if that was the case. But how many people do you think stayed on the planet? Well, let's see. They were saying eleven total including scott and tj and chloe colonel young's ultimatum was that all the military personnel had to go back so we know that chloe came back she's a civilian presumably i would say that the rest of the civilians like kane probably stayed yeah i mean we're probably talking four or five people i would guess maybe six that just didn't seem like a lot of fun to stay there do you think it was what do you think about young giving the broken shuttle up I mean, it makes sense. I think it's in character for him to uh, to give them that resource. It doesn't seem to be a resource that's going to do us a whole lot of good. I mean, you don't think eventually? I mean, I know they said that they probably couldn't fix it, but I mean, I just remember the in um, space, we opened a can of, can of whoop-butt on the aliens with the one shuttle. If the other shuttle could do that too, it might be useful mm-hmm. in a battle. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, they could find some strategic use for it at some point. But here was a real, specific, tangible need that people had. So it makes sense to me that he would have that he would have given it up, especially when he had Brody telling him basically, "It's we're probably never really going to be able to fix it." There were eighty people that started on Destiny, right? Is that eighty plus? Have, yeah. So if we lost five or six in this episode, and we lost the one guy that killed himself in Justice, yeah, Spencer. We lost a couple in Air Part 3. I mean, we're dwindling the cast, or I shouldn't say the cast, but the amount of people that are on the ship down. Yeah, and what's-his-name got killed by the sand alien in water? I think it's going to be like a a situation where on Voyager, critical viewers were counting the number of shuttlecraft that were lost, and how many shuttlecraft did Voyager have by the end of the day. This is probably going to be a case of... Counting the crew members, counting the red shirts. Because we've only got so many, and we can't make more red shirts when they're gone. So what did you think about the whole religious angle to the episode? This was interesting, and you know, the episode is obviously called Faith. So we've dealt with the crew's problem of water and air and, uh, you know, power. And now we come to an episode called Faith, which is really interesting to me, um, especially as a person of faith, that sort of what we need is more than just to eat and drink and breathe you know it's it kind of reminds me of maslow's hierarchy of needs which says you've got to take care of your basic survival and then once that's secured you can start to worry about things like uh you know your emotional needs and your psychological needs 
Um, that's really what's going on here, isn't it? It's it's TJ and a lot of the rest of these people with this lifeline. I mean, this this possibility of staying on this planet and having a better life. And is that is that the best decision? And then on the other the other side of it, you've got the sort of the religious question of, well, these these aliens seem to be powerful enough that we might as well think of them as gods. And and it's interesting that sort of generates a an, an almost religious devotion among guys like Cain. He he doesn't just say, these aliens are probably our best chance of getting home because they're so advanced. He says that he believes, the quotation, I, I wrote it down in my notes, he says, uh, he says, I think we were brought here for a reason. I mean, that's just not, that's not just super powerful aliens with, with great tech. I mean, that's sort of getting into uh, metaphysical questions. Yeah, the hand of God led us this way? Yeah. What do you think? I'm not as religious as I should be. So, um, I mean, I obviously have faith and go to church occasionally. Um, I'm not sure how I stand. I just thought it was, that part of it was a little, I don't know what I would say. I mean, I didn't like that part of it, I guess. I mean, I, I looked past it and I understood it, but... Um, yeah, the extent to which I think it, it could be construed as religious... Um, wasn't terribly thrilled with. I thought that Cain was a little bit anxious to uh, reach the conclusions that he did. It almost sounded like he was wanting to start a cult or something. Yeah, I mean, crossing (laughs) that line to what really seemed to me to be almost a a religious devotion to these aliens that he's never seen. All that he knows about them is that they seem to have the ability to create a planet and a star. Um, Yeah, the way that he crossed over to an almost almost religious devotion... uh, seemed a bit uh, a bit wacky to me so i don't know good riddance came but but the main gist of the episode i think the main thrust of what's going on is not really the religious side of faith it's it's just sort of this uh i don't know how to connect it to the concept of faith but you know thinking about tj and what she's going through in terms of of this pregnancy and who the father seems to be and uh uh, finding finding this lifeline, finding this place of refuge, where where she can potentially have a better life for her and for her child, and then having to give that up, not because you have to make a hard decision, but because it's yanked away from you. I can understand that. Yeah. Again, I don't know how it relates necessarily to faith and how we might construe that as a as a theological or a non theological concept, but. I just I like the the thematic stuff that's going on here with TJ and her pregnancy. I mean, I really think Elena Huffman really just in so many ways carries this episode and sells it so well. This is some of the best acting that I've seen on SGU and it's some of the best acting because it's so subtle. I mean, I talked about the the rush response, the sort of little tweak of a smile at the end of the episode. That's great. Um Elena has a couple of those. Uh one of them is when when uh, they get to the planet and Matt comes back and says, well, Destiny's officially out of range now. Uh, we're stuck here. And the camera goes on TJ, and she just gives this really subtle little hint of a smile. She's happy. She is thrilled to be stuck there for a month. Not only on this planet with sunshine and food, but, you know, away from Destiny and away from Colonel Young, I think. Um, and then the second one is the flip side of that. When Young comes down and gives them the ultimatum, and all the the military guys follow Greer onto Young's side of the line, 
you know, basically TJ's left here with this choice. And she gives this look of, it's, it's, it's again, it's really subtle, but it's just heartbreak. You see when she decides to step forward and leave the planet. The way that, that Elena does this is just so beautiful to me. She's an incredible actress. Hey guys, this is uh, Patrick. I am from RDA's homeland of Minnesota. I thought it was a so-so episode. I knew there was going to have to be a few filler fillers that came in after uh, the huge payoff we had with uh, Space and Divided. But I still am feeling now, after the long break, that they're starting to get more and more back to the roots of what I found that I enjoy about Stargate Atlantis and Stargate SG-1. Um, I don't know, I thought there didn't seem to be too much substance. I kind of left it open-ended about what was going to happen to the people that were left on the planet. But there was a few things that were brought up that I really enjoyed. Uh, first off, I never thought Stargate SG-1 or Stargate Atlantis really delved too much into personal faith and what it means to believe in God, specifically what I got the feeling was as a Christian God that they were talking about. I just thought that was interesting that they added that in there. And uh, they had the characters grapple with people that believe and people that don't believe in a higher power uh, being. Also, uh, the really important thing that I truly thought had been waiting for it to come since uh, Rush came back on the ship was that of uh, when Colonel Young approaches him at the end of the episode and tells him that he likes to play chess. I thought that it really uh, harkened back to a scene from Stargate Atlantis between uh, Colonel Caldwell and Elizabeth Weir where they finally put down, put aside their differences, where they agreed that they might not like each other, but that they didn't want to uh, get in each other's way too much and shared a game of chess as two opponents uh, on either side of a opinion or, in general, uh, the differences they had on the show. And it was kind of a point where they stopped, uh, where Caldwell seemed to stop uh, backstabbing Weir or going behind her back or trying to overpower her, and Weir accepted the fact that Caldwell was going to be there for a long time and represent the interests of the U.S. military. And overall, I feel like maybe now Rush and Young may not like each other, but they're going to start moving towards a somewhat uh, stable relationship where they can work together in a peaceful manner. What do you think um, Young's going to say when he finds out? You know, I didn't expect to like this storyline as much as I'm liking it so far. SGU has been criticized as being too soap opera-ish, and one of the, the classic staples of melodramatic soap opera is, you know, who's the baby daddy and revealing the baby daddy and uh, the issues between the mama and the baby daddy. Uh, but this, I think, is, is uh, so far at least, it's really interesting to me. And I like these, these two characters so much, and there's so much subtleties going on uh, between their characters and the fact that, you know, he's got this wife back home who he loves and he's trying to get back to, and he broke up with TJ a long time ago. His wife thinks they're back together, even though they're not. Well, they must not have broken up that long ago, because she's only 15 weeks pregnant. Yeah, she said it was just before they left Icarus Base. So, I mean, as far as we know, in Air Part 1, they were already broken up. I think that they had, had ended their relationship by that point. Right, um, but for how, how long, though? I mean, it yeah, must not have been must, that long. No, it must not have been very long at all. Um, you know, potentially even a matter of days really. But it was recent enough that Emily, Colonel Young's wife, apparently knew about it, and knew that specifically that it was TJ that he had had an affair with. So, I don't know, maybe maybe when the child was conceived was even a relapse. 
I don't want to speculate about uh, you know sexual affairs and all that, but uh, it it the timeline raises some interesting questions. Like TJ was supposed to leave Icarus Space a couple weeks before the t- the attack, uh, and she didn't. She stuck around, and nobody really knew why she stuck around. Maybe it was because she had found out that she was pregnant and was trying to figure out a way to tell Colonel Young before she left. Maybe. She seems to really be deliberately avoiding Young in this episode. I mean, she doesn't want to tell him. Obviously. Um, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, I think it's weird. I mean, she's he's going to find out. There's no way around it. I don't know why she's beating around the bush about it. Yeah, this was another great acting moment that I just want to point out. Um, this episode, I mean, as cool as, as, as the last couple of episodes have been for... You know, some really intense drama and, uh, you know, great CG and action sequences. This episode is carried by the actors. This last moment is the very, very end of the episode. And it shows this this, uh, sort of distance between Colonel Young and TJ. He goes to the mess hall where everybody's enjoying all the new food. And uh, sits down and basically he's smiling, he's happy, he's in a crowd. And then it cuts to TJ who is sitting alone by herself crying. Here's an interesting point, too. TJ announced she was pregnant in front of those, you know, how many other people were on the planet. If she doesn't tell him soon, he's going to hear about it. Yeah, you think when she told Matt that other people probably I'm sure, overheard? I'm sure they did. I cannot believe they didn't. Yeah. I'd like to see her, her uh, fess up to Young here in the next week or two. Seems like any more than that, and it's... It's uh, starting to stretch the bounds of credulity. True. Although it depends upon how long the next, I mean, you know, the next three episodes could be three days. Yeah, that's true. It's quibble time. Okay, so I have a couple of quibbles. One is a decent size, um, kind of minor tech point, I guess. Um, and the other is a little one. So let me do the little one first. Franklin. Dr. Franklin gets a mention which is great. They're about to head down to the planet, and Franklin, who uh, we will remember from Justice, sat down in the chair and got his brain frizzled uh, by ancient technology and is, uh, as far as we know, is off in a coma somewhere, potentially with uh, the secrets of destiny in his brain. Uh, So he gets a mention. TJ says that that this other person is going to keep an eye on him and and let her know if anything happens, etc., etc. Here's my quibble. What about Riley? Sergeant Riley, poor guy, has not been mentioned since he fell into a coma way back in whenever it was that they were were uh, messing around with those spacesuits. I think it was Earth. Water. It was when, when Telford came onto the ship. Wasn't it water? I thought it was I... a different episode than, than the episode where Young and Scott wore the suits. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe you're right. Okay. You're probably right. Yeah. So I'm just feeling for poor Sergeant Riley. He's around here somewhere. I mean, the actor, uh, the actor basically got uh, some great stage work and left the show uh, temporarily to do stage work. So they wrote his character out, but kept him on the ship. And uh, presumably, he's coming back at some time. But uh, I just wish he would have gotten a mention alongside Franklin. I really wish that Franklin would just wake up and be like, "I know it all." Here's what you want to do, Rush. Yeah, that would be cool if Franklin came back and was just like the hero. My second one is uh, is about this course correction that Destiny is doing. It was flying along in hyperspace, or not hyperspace, in FTL, you know, doo-doo-doo, having a good time, and the star is there that it, it is not supposed to be there, and so the gravity of the star 
affects Destiny's course and makes it drop out of FTL. Then it has to do this month-long slingshot around the planet to do this course correction and jump back into FTL. So I guess the quibble is is a technical point. Why does the ship not automatically change its course to get away from the star and just jump back into FTL? I mean, does it have to keep going in a straight line? Can it just sort of change, you know, like somebody turning the steering wheel, just change directions or stop on a dime and reorient itself and go off? Apparently not. <laughs> Seems like a month. I mean, I know it serves a nice story, but uh, a month is a long time for a course correction for this uh, really powerful advanced spaceship that really should be able to go anywhere at once, anytime at once. Maybe the power was low and it needed to recharge by going through the sun, too. Or by the sun. Mm. Though they didn't make a deal out of it, but that would have been ideal. Yeah, they didn't say anything about that. I don't know. I mean, I still think it's kind of weird that the that our sensors aren't good enough to be able to tell that the star and the planet was there. But, mm-hmm. I mean, this episode wouldn't have worked nearly as well if it was a week. Hey, we have a week. You know, one thing that I thought was weird is I don't get how fast these shuttles can go because they're like, we're going to be out of range. But yet, it's a month. So, I mean, how long does it take to get from the ship to the planet? If they can get back and forth three times on the other side of the, when it goes around the other way, mm-hmm. if they would have left an hour later, would they have been that far away from the planet that they couldn't have just been in the spaceship for a little bit long or in the shuttle for a little bit longer? Yeah, and it potentially would have taken them, you know, like eighteen hours instead of five to get to yeah, the planet or something, something like that. that. That was one of the issues I thought was weird. Well, that's what we have to say about faith. And we have, uh, we have a good amount of voicemail on other topics. Some people are calling in about space and divided and uh, a few other points. So let's get into the listener mailbag. Hi, this is Mark from New Jersey. And there's something that's been bothering me about space and divided. I don't think you guys talked about it in either podcast. If these aliens can't, are trying to get on the destiny and they want to get on the, to the destiny, but they can't, how come they can land on the ship? and cut holes through the hull and abduct Chloe, but they can't get on the ship. That's what I don't understand. And I was just wondering if maybe I'm missing something or or if you guys had thought about that or what you thought on that. Now, this is a point, like I said earlier, that I think the aliens have been on the ship before because otherwise, how could they get be like, oh, today we have this powerful device that lets us in, but it's never let us in before. Mm-hmm. So how how could they not be on the ship before? I was thinking the same thing after I saw space. After they cut in and took Chloe, um, I think I said on last week's show or, or the week before, I kind of expected when they drilled that hole that, that this was an invasion, that a bunch of aliens were going to come pouring into the corridor. Um, but I guess when we saw Divided we learned that the aliens have been after the ship for a while and have never been able to get past its automated defenses, uh, which I guess would be, would be, for the most part, just the shield. So I'm thinking that what we're, what we're supposed to get from this is that the shield was strong enough until we started poking around and messing things up and shooting our weapons at them and draining power, that it's sort of 
reduce the power of the shield enough that the aliens could get through, which is not something that we did in Divided, because we didn't use the weapons. The, the relative ease with which they seem to be able to breach the ship in space still makes me kind of not 100% sold that they've never been on board this ship before. Hey guys, this is Alex from Largo, Florida. First time caller, long time listener to the podcast, and just wanted to give you a heads up. I was watching uh, coverage on NASA TV this morning, Friday, April 16th, and for the wake-up call to Spatial Discovery and the International Space Station, they played the theme from Stargate SG-1 for astronaut mission specialist Rick Mastracchio. So I thought that was pretty cool. I figured I'd give you guys a call and share it with you. Hi, this is Cheryl from Eastern Washington again. I know I said my last comment was my last, but I lied. going to kind of sidestep your question by making a prediction. At some point, either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, we're going to discover that Dr. No Redeeming Features knows where they are. And it's going to be the lieutenant no, the not pregnant lieutenant and the sergeant that figure it out. And that leads me to my second comment, which is that the not pregnant lieutenant is going to take responsibility for the pregnant lieutenant, which is going to screw up the not pregnant lieutenant's relationship with the senator's daughter, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to fall into the arms of the slacker. And my question, and I'm genuinely not trying to be contentious, although it'll sound like it, I'm ge I genuinely am curious about this. Trying to appeal to 18 to 35 year olds, males, genuinely means soap opera with a bouncy camera, which is up to this point what it does mean. Why didn't they just hire a soap opera writer or, or writers to help them out? Hey guys, this is Ryan from Chilliwack, British Columbia, and I just listened to your podcast on Divided. There was one scene in the show that you didn't really talk about, and I thought it brought up an excellent point. It was where TJ was talking about how the civilians had basically declared war against the military and that war was exactly what the military did. No sooner had she said that than Young and Greer very handily out-strategized the civilians and make their way in through the hole in the hull that was on the civilian side. I think it really put into perspective that the civilians were really no match if they were to try to fight the military toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Hey guys, this is Adam from Orlando, and I just have a couple thoughts regarding points you guys made during the podcast on Divided. First, I think it was David who suggested training the civilians to use weapons for if they're boarded again, and there are a couple problems with that. I think there are around 70 people on the ship, and, I and in air they said they had around 40 weapons and limited ammo, and since I doubt any of those weapons are in TARS, they might not feel like they have enough ammo to train civilians up to competent enough to use the weapons, even if they did have enough for everyone. Also, about the communication stones, since they didn't show Chloe actually connecting with Brightman, my thought is that maybe they had her restrained and then untied her once they confirmed that it wasn't one of the aliens that connected to her. Just wanted to share those ideas with you guys. As far as the communication stones go, I think that's a, a really good point. That um, I was kind of wondering why we were just going back to using the communication stones as normal uh, to bring Dr. Brightman on to the ship last week. Uh, but yeah, it does make sense that Chloe would, that maybe they would strap her down and, and check first. You know, every time we use the communication stones now, you've got you've to answer three questions. What is your name? What is your quest? 
What is your favorite color? Thanks, everybody, for all that voicemail. There's good stuff to talk about this week. Next week, we're talking about Human, which airs Friday night on Sci-Fi Channel in the United States and over on Space if you're in Canada. Um, this is cool. This is, this is going to be a, a good Rush episode, I think. So this week's listener question, call in to the Gate World Podcast hotline and tell us what did you think of this week's episode, Human. You can watch it on Friday or catch it uh, on Hulu or Amazon.com or iTunes over the weekend and just get your call in by Monday if you want to make it on to next week's show. So we're talking about Human on April 28th. And then on May 5th, we'll talk about the episode titled Lost. And on May 12th, it's Sabotage. And that's our show for this week. Justin, it's good to have you back, man. I'm glad to be here. It's so awesome. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for talking about faith. Uh, how are things going on the Fifth Race podcast? I saw that you guys are up to the start of Season 6 of SG1. Yes, we just released Season 6, to, well, a couple days ago. And um, we just watched the mid-season, the first part of the mid-season finale, or, yeah, the mid-season finale. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but where we see the ship, Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Prometheus. And, because this is the episode I've been waiting tend to watch for, well, that and Meridian, which Meridian was pretty awesome, too. Um, so we can see that we have ships. And since we've only watched the first part of it, one of the questions I asked him, he was like, do you think we're going to keep the ship? And he was mm-hmm. like, no. <laughs> too easy. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. But no, everything's going awesome on, our, on the Fifth Race. Um, you know, you can check us out at um, fifthracepodcast.com. Cool. Get all your cool. SG-1 goodiness there yeah prometheus is really kind of the start of a new era for sg1 with the ships well check so. them out again at the fifth race podcast.com uh you can hear justin and tim every week right every week you release a new show every week very good well we'll be sure to have you back on here as soon as we can yay always a pleasure talking to you it's always fun talking to you too Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you want to uh, tell us what you thought of Human, or if you still have some opinions on Faith, want to get those on next week's show, that number is 951-262-1647 in the United States. Or you can record a short message on your computer and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. And we always like to see you over at the podcast feedback thread at Gateworld Forum. So we'll come back here next week, or I'll come back here next week. David will be back from Anaheim. Um, Back from Anaheim. It's like around the block from where he lives. He'll be back. We'll just say that. (laughs) From GateWorld, this is Darren. And I'm Justin. And we'll see you back here next week for more of the GateWorld podcast. You see them breathing.